0: Hi, welcome to Six Feet Apart. I'm Alex Wagner. It's hard to pinpoint one singular moment when Americans began to realize that the COVID-19 pandemic was about to reshape all of our lives. But for many of us, the cancellation of our favorite pastimes, basketball, the Olympics, the performing arts, that was the inflection point, the beginning of a very different era. And that's what we're talking about today, sports. Or sport, if you prefer to be a little more highfalutin about it. What's happened to America's finest athletes in a moment when games and performances are all on hold indefinitely? How do you maintain peak physical condition when the arenas and stages are closed and your coaches are nowhere near you? What happens to team players when there's no team? We'll be talking to people who've trained their whole lives to perform under pressure and now find themselves with nowhere to go and nothing to perform. First, we'll speak to Christian Coleman, one of the great track and field hopefuls for Team USA in the 2020 Summer Olympics, which are now the 2021 Summer Olympics. Christian was widely expected to beat Usain Bolt's 100-meter dash Olympic record. He just might be the fastest man alive. But for now, he's back at home living with his parents. Then we'll talk with Isabella Boylston, a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater in New York City. Because of the pandemic, Isabella has lost an entire season in a career that is, by nature, fairly short. Instead of pirouettes at Lincoln Center, she's now live-streaming ballet classes from her kitchen in Brooklyn. And then, Neka Ogwumike, a WNBA player on the Los Angeles Sparks. While the NBA was the first major American professional sports association to cancel its season due to COVID-19, the WNBA hasn't even started its games for 2020. While the WNBA aims to get its players back on the court sometime this year, for now, NECA and her teammates are in isolation. She's been at home waiting to shoot hoops since March 8th. And now, here's Christian Coleman. So, Christian, I think a lot of people expected they would next hear from you while you were on the the medal stand in the Tokyo Olympics 2020. But of course, um, circumstances have dictated that that is not going to be happening this year. Where are you right now?
1: Uh, I'm back home in Atlanta. Um back home in Atlanta, Georgia at my, my parents' house.
0: Are you sleeping in your childhood bedroom?
1: <laughs> I am sleeping in my childhood bedroom. And there's a lot of stuff in there that because I kind of use it for storage, just stuff that I've gained and and gotten over the years. Um, so it's a little bit crowded.
0: What are your days like? What time do you get up? How do you find time to
1: work out? I get up like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I go up to the, the gym and lift weights. Um, and then um, in the afternoons, I'll, you know, go up to the track. Just do the workouts that my coach sends. Like, sometimes it's not a track workout. Sometimes, you know, it's just some stuff we can do around the house, like a circuit. Um, what,
0: what track are you using? Because most of the high schools are closed, right?
1: Yeah, the high schools are definitely closed, but I just hop the fence. I don't want to You're hopping
0: the fence. You're hopping the fence.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hop the fence. I don't want to say the name so somebody, like, hears Yeah, you know, We they don't want to see you get arrested. You're just
0: trying to work out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but Don't you I think mean, that the, there's some high
0: school out there that would be happy to have you training. I mean, really, given who you are and what you may become, I think that that would be a badge <laughs> of honor. They'd love to know that Christian <laughs> Coleman was hopping their fence.
1: <laughs> Definitely. But I mean, the, the coach, the, I mean, um, the school that I'm going to is up the street and I, and I know the coach and, you know, we're pretty cool, we're pretty close. Is like he can't, like, technically legally open it for me, but he was just saying that, like, you know, nobody would be up there. So it's cool if I, you know, go up there and um still get on the track and, and do my workouts that I need to do, you know, not get out of shape during this time. So it's kind of crazy.
0: It I mean, it, it is crazy, right? Like, given where you thought you were going to be, you know, on New Year's Day, right, nobody mm-hmm. – in the world thought, Christian Coleman, this this young athlete who a lot of people are saying is gonna beat Usain Bolt's record, fastest man alive, that you would be hopping the fence at, at a high school and working out at a gym by yourself and sleeping in your childhood bedroom in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> come April yeah.
1: 2020. Yeah, I never would've, I never would've thought, I mean, it, and then it, it kind of all just happened so fast. Like, you know, we were just going through our regular routine. Like, I was training, and we were going through the uh, the indoor season. I ran in one meet, and we were supposed to have the indoor world championships in China. And so um, that was kind of strange that, you know, I feel like over here in America, it wasn't being, like, taken as serious or broadcasted um, how serious, like, this pandemic was about the coronavirus um, but they canceled that meet, which was going to be in March, but they canceled it back in like February mm-hmm. um, over in China. And so at that point, um, I don't know, like the news over here wasn't like making it seem like, you know, the, the virus would reach us and it would be a big deal. Um, so we just kind of kept going through our regular, um, you know, training and routine. And we were at the NCAA championships and then they started to. Uh, different teams started to drop out and different conferences started to say that they weren't going to allow their athletes to compete. Um, and then they just canceled the whole meet and then like the NBA canceled. And it was just kind of like a whole crazy like week in that time span where like things started to like unravel.
0: Yeah. You know, it sounds like from the athletes I've been speaking with, the athletes that were involved in international competitions or international performances, they sort of had a sense earlier than I think a lot of American athletes did, um, mm-hmm. or athletes that only compete in the U.S. They had a, a sense earlier in this cycle that something bad was coming down the pipe because they were talking to people who were overseas. They were they they knew what organizers in Asia or in Europe were beginning to grapple with, and so it sounds kind of like that was the case with you that that you had a sense that oh this could be a problem earlier than a lot of folks, I think, in America did.
1: Absolutely, because, like, when they canceled the indoor world championships back in February, and I thought it was just kind of strange, but a couple more me- weeks went by, and things just started to get way more serious and way more treacherous, and um, obviously things started to transpire.
0: When they canceled the, that international meet in Asia, did you start thinking, uh-oh, what about the Olympics? Uh or, or was that imme- still too far down the line?
1: Yeah, not not immediately. I didn't start to think about that because I wasn't being affected in terms of like my training um and neither was, you know, my my competitors, you know, cuz most of the people even if they're international athletes, they, you know, train over here in America. And so um everything was just kind of the same and I wasn't even, you know, thinking that, you know, this could Last for the next few months, and you know, they could possibly cancel the Olympics at that point. That you know, definitely wasn't my thought process because I had no like news or knowledge about it. I thought that it was just a situation going on, they you know, they'll get it under control in the next few weeks, and we'll be good to go this summer. Um, but obviously, that you know, wasn't the case. I guess it was just getting started.
0: Can you talk to me a little bit about how you've dealt with all of this psychologically? I mean, I know physically you're trying to keep your strength up. You're trying to stay in shape. You're continuing those <laughs> secret workouts on that high school track. But how are you, you know, given the uh, the expectation around your performance, given the hopes that a lot of people had for you being a medalist in the games, you know, mm-hmm. how have you dealt with the fact that you're not going to be competing for another year?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like track and field is is more of a mental and emotional sport than it is physical. Like, obviously, you train your bodies and you put the work in and hours and hours on the track. But mentally, like going into competitions, knowing that everything going to be on the line and um, you get one shot, you know, you don't get four quarters to go out there and, and you know, put together a good performance or you don't get another – game six or another game seven, you know, like you do in the NBA or or in baseball or something, you know, you get one chance, you know, as soon as the gun goes off, that's your opportunity. And mentally, I feel like that weighs a lot of you. I mean, it can stress you out, but then also just the pressure, you know, of the whole situation. So I just, over the years, I've gotten better and better at just controlling the things that I can control. And, um, and so it's kind of a thing that you just have to teach yourself to just not be, Anxious, you know, not be stressed out about certain situations, just whatever you can uh control, like whatever's on your plate, that's what you deal with. And so I think as track athletes we're kinda used to wait for our opportunity, wait for our chance and just staying ready for that that one. Obviously we've waited four years now and we'll just have to wait one more. Um and so I think it'll just make it that much more special You know, if you were to go out and and get an Olympic medal or make that Olympic team, knowing that everybody had to go through these type of circumstances and everybody had to be faced with these type of uh, obstacles to be able to get there.
0: Yeah, I think there's some global unity in all that, right? The games, when they do happen, are going to be a real high point for Earth, (laughs) given what the globe will have to grapple with between now and then. Is it good to be home with your parents? Is it does it make it easier to be surrounded by family at a time like this?
1: Definitely, definitely a good time to be around your family, be around your people. I think um, hearing about how so many people have died and are being affected and displaced by this, um, it puts it in perspective that you know life is short and you definitely should not take it for granted because you know life can just obviously change within a week, within a day, within an hour, you know, things can be totally different. So, you know, just taking this time to, you know, be around my people and around my family and cherishing it, you know, you definitely don't want to take these opportunities for granted, even in the the midst of a, you know, global pandemic.
0: Thanks a lot, Christian. We'll see you in Tokyo.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you guys so much.
0: So it's a lost year for many athletes, which is an issue when many of their careers are relatively short to begin with. Isabella Boylston is a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater in New York City, but for now, she's doing what she can to keep her calluses tough offstage. So Isabella, on April 8th, which actually, in the grand scheme of this, was not that long Ago, uh, the American Ballet Theater, ABT, where you're a dancer, canceled their season. Uh, That was later than a couple other major US dance companies. What were you supposed to be dancing in this season?
2: Um, So basically, I was just going to be revisiting all of my classical roles Um, Swan Lake, Giselle, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet's definitely one of my favorite roles. So um, Jane Eyre, every week we do a different ballet and um there are several casts of principal dancers so you can see like a bunch of different interpretations of each ballet do you remember when they closed the dance studio yeah it was uh the last day of work was march 12th and and it literally it was so crazy because we were supposed to tour to chicago like five days later and it wasn't until then that they canceled our chicago tour And um, we're supposed to have a tour to China in the fall. And my thought was like, oh, well, I hope we can still do our tour. Just so ignorant, not even thinking like, oh, (laughs) soon this will be in the States and we'll be dealing with it here.
0: Well, I think there are a lot of people that thought exactly along the Mm -hmm. same lines as you.
2: It's just scary how, I guess, ill-informed we were about it. Like even a week before they canceled our... Um, last tour, like it still seemed like a possibility. Honestly, like we were thinking, maybe even just like a few weeks. So yeah. I, I'm so glad I like got hoarded a bunch of my point shoes because <laughs> I'll need to keep wearing them so my toes don't get completely raw. Wow,
0: and one yeah. never thinks about the fact that you have to keep your calluses up. That that sort mm-hmm. of wear and tear actually is is necessary for peak performance.
2: Totally. Like when I get a pedicure, I won't let them touch my calluses. I'm like, you have no idea how hard I've worked to get these. The second I don't wear my point shoes, um, like I lose the calluses and the toughness in my toes that I need to be able to go on point
0: because the the season was canceled relatively late have you been trying to keep up with your rehearsals tell me a little bit about how you sort of continued to train through this first phase of the of the isolation of the lockdown
2: yeah absolutely i mean we are used to rehearsing for up to 9 hours a day um and i usually only take one day off because our bodies are so um like finely tuned i guess that um, yeah, I wouldn't if, say finely tuned. A,
0: finally <laughs> I tuned, think that yeah. that's fair.
2: <laughs> <laughs> even after a few days off, you feel it. Um, just in order to like not have my, you know, muscles start atrophying, I've been doing class in my kitchen every day. And then um, my best friend, James Whiteside and I, he's a principal dancer in ABT as well. We had the idea to basically start live streaming classes and our first live stream like over 15,000 people took our class we were so overwhelmed we were like okay 15,000 people that's more than four times the capacity of the Met Opera House our biggest theater but um, I literally just hold on to the kitchen sink But I mean, I
0: think of ballet as one of those things that uses a like a large range of movement Mm -hmm. and a full stage. So when you were trying to keep up with your routines for the performances, like how do you do that in a Brooklyn living room?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is impossible to do the full range of motion that I would do in my typical rehearsal day at the studios. But um, you can still like target specific muscle groups to just like keep your strength going you know I know the what the dance community is going through right now is very difficult but at the same time we are fortunate to like those of us that are healthy are very fortunate and we're fortunate to just still be able to move in our kitchens because not everyone has that luxury right now
0: yeah that's definitely true. There are a lot of people that wish they could be doing plies by this sink. Uh, totally.
2: So, yeah, things things could be worse.
0: At, at this point, you know, as you try and keep your calluses calloused <laughs> and you keep your muscles from atrophying, wh- what does that practically mean? We're all sort of in quarantine, social distancing. People can go outside. How do you do that within the sort of space you've been allotted?
2: Well, what I've started doing is – just to stay motivated. The first week, I didn't really have a routine, and I was like getting super depressed. Um, so I, I have a like notebook, and every night I write my schedule for the next day, and it's literally mm-hmm. like nine a.m. wake up, nine thirty drink coffee, mm-hmm. um, just various things to give my day structure.
0: I think of ballet as one of those particularly regimented careers, right? I mean, just Mm -hmm. the fact that you guys are rehearsing so many hours a day, Mm -hmm. your bodies are finely tuned instruments. I I sort of imagine that ballet dancers are really disciplined just because how could they get to be principal dancers at at companies like yours without (laughs) a fierce amount of self-control and discipline? Is that accurate or Or am I just like just stereotyping?
2: No, No, I would say that's extremely accurate. I feel like every professional ballet dancer that I know um, has had to have a ton of discipline in their life and not only discipline, but grit, Um, just the ability to like push through a lot of physical pain and also deal with setbacks, disappointments, injuries, rejection, um, like tons of criticism so yeah you I think like I would just say grittiness and toughness is probably it's not what you think of when you think of like a little girl tiptoeing around in a pink tutu but um all the ballet dancers I know are extremely tough
0: yeah I mean, it's, I I know what happens underneath those point shoes, and it is not totally.
2: Pretty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not cute, <laughs> but I also wonder. Like, I have a box of Entenmann's donuts that sing to me every morning, and I'm like, "This is quarantine life." Do you guys? I mean, has there been any sense of giving in to what is an insane moment in humanity? Definitely. Like
2: every time I go to the store, I buy Ruffles potato chips. I like love Ruffles Um, (laughs) and I drink wine at night. Of course, I do worry about like staying in shape and like staying strong. Um, But more than that, I just worry about people's mental states and our routine is so structured. Like in a way, I feel like this is the first time I've had a break since I went to boarding school to study ballet when I was 15. Wow. Um, and I'm 33 now, so it's bizarre. Are there economic
0: like implications Mm -hmm. to the season being canceled to the tours being canceled? I know that there are some refunds being offered. Mm -hmm. I mean, does
2: that affect you guys? How does that work? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a huge loss financially for ABT because the Met season is I don't want to misspeak, but it's a very significant part of our annual budget, our annual revenue, um, if not the biggest part. So yeah, the dancers are laid off um, for now. The company is definitely extending themselves to um, offer us benefits. And um, I think there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's definitely it's clear to me that upper management at ABT is working their asses off to um, support the dancers financially as much as possible.
0: Yeah. But I mean, at a certain point or at a certain number, I mean, people are going to have to find other ways of bringing in income at at some point, I would assume. Totally. Right? I or- mean, it's,
2: you know, ABT is a not for profit and I don't think most ballet dancers go professional to make money it's not like playing in the nba or something um even if i believe ballet dancers should be making those kind of salaries because of their incredible athleticism um it's just not part of it do you foresee a world in
0: which you can make i mean i, I guess i just wonder if this is the last year your season kind of is mm-hmm. what it is it's mm-hmm. not like they can push it till the fall
2: right No Uh, especially because theaters are booked up like I, I mean everything's so planned so far ahead in in ballet like I know my show dates for the next year like it's not really like you can just slide in some extra shows here and there unfortunately.
0: It's also ballet is not lo- known as the career choice for people who want to work as dancers for like forty years, right? I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> yeah. finite. It's a, each it year is. really counts.
2: Yeah, it really is. And I feel like once I hit thirty, then it really started to occur to me the ephemeral nature of this career. Yeah. Um. And I I like treasure each opportunity to perform because I know I can't do it forever. But I I do believe that the hardship that you experience off stage obviously like the difficulties that you go through in life um they give you richness and depth as a performer so Mm -hmm. I think maybe we won't have the experience of developing on stage this year but I think we'll continue to grow as people and artists and have something to bring with us to the stage when we finally do get back out there
0: Isabella, thank you so much for, for taking time to talk with us. Of you know, course. we wish you all the well. We wish you all the thick calluses in the world <laughs> through this tough <laughs> time. I mean, so I will much. say the quarantine is building emotional calluses, if not physical ones. So definitely, you know, good luck keeping all of them up. Thank you uh, so and good luck much. With everything.
2: Thank you. Bye.
0: And now we'll hear from Neka Ogumike a WNBA star on the Los Angeles Sparks. So, NECA, where are you right now?
3: Right now, I am in Texas, my home state.
0: How long have you been in Texas? And where were you when all the news of COVID-19 first started breaking nationally?
3: Well, I've been in Texas kind of in and out since the end of last season. So since November. Um, but I was also participating in the USA travel squad. So, um, after the end of last season, uh, I went to Spain and then, uh, we had another segment in Serbia, um, in January, and then we had the Chicago all-star and, um, I'm, I'm huge into podcasts, so like I listen to everything. <laughs> so I had been That's good. very much That's aware. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I had been very much aware of um of the you know the coronavirus um well before people thought it was a concern, I guess, on the Western hemisphere. I started quarantining, I guess, quarantining, social distancing, staying at home since March eighth.
0: That's very and, yeah.
3: <laughs> um, prescient and responsible of you.
0: Yeah, the, the 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 NBA was the first professional sports league to say, we're going to suspend games. And I think for a lot of Americans, that was the alarm bell. They still have games left in their season. The start of your season has been pushed back. And right now there's some optimism that the WNBA is going to be playing this summer, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Am I getting that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You're there's saying, certainly optimism. <laughs> Do you imagine that there's going to be an audience
3: in the stands? To be honest, I, it's you know I guess I'm manifesting that there'll be audience, <laughs> <laughs> there'll be an audience. But um, to be real, you know, I, I'm more concerned about safety and health of sure. not just not just our fans, but the players, the staff, you know. And I think at this point, we have to think um, outside the box. We really have to shift our mindset in what this summer can look like. You can't follow in lockstep with the NBA because not only are we different, they were in the middle of their season and ours hasn't started. And I think right. in a lot of ways that gives us an advantage because we can start from scratch and we don't necessarily have to um, figure out how a season has been disrupted and then creating out of that.
0: I know you're trying to manifest people in the people in the audience, but it sounds like you probably won't have fans in there, and I guess I just wonder, from you know, from a player's perspective, if that does come to pass, um, what what do you think that might be like to play just with um, your fellow players, your 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 adversaries? Do you think the game becomes more intense because it's just about the game? There's not the crowd. Or is it less intense because you don't have that reaction, the thrill, the like emotional pitch of people in the audience?
3: I think that, in my opinion, it would be more intense. I think it would, it may even be more meaningful because the stoicism of that can contribute to a different type of competition. So I guess we're also banking on this kind of contributing to a new wave and a new age of broadcasting the WNBA you know in in ways that people haven't seen before in ways that are more accessible to fans you know making us more available on a social media and a digital platform um, for people to be able to consume consume sports because at the end of the day whether you're watching at home or whether you're in the arena sports is something that really brings people together and um, I'm hoping that that's what happens no matter who is in the arena
0: you are an athlete, you are an elite athlete and you know I would assume you were you've been you've been playing throughout the beginning of the year but I would assume as you gear up for the start of your official season the training uh, regimen becomes more intense you're doing a lot of drills on and off the court etc cetera, etc cetera. none of that would seem to be happening if you're not you know playing with your teammates so how are you approaching training at this moment on your own?
3: This is probably the most interesting question you could ask any athlete right now. <laughs> Not just because we're having to do home workouts, but everyone lives in a different space. So um, I've realized, too, that there's different types of resources available for different types of players. And it's funny because I would even pay attention on social media and there are NBA players who are worried about their skill level and their stamina coming back compared to some NBA players that have homes with courts, you know, and, and the same goes, yeah, the same goes for WNBA players. You have players that are living in flats and apartments. You have players that have condos. You have players that have full houses. You have players that are living alone. You have players that are living with kids. I have my own home. Mm. Um, and I had actually, I bought my spin bike a week before I even realized, it, like, I would need it. The first place I went to was Dick Sporting Goods, Um, and so I got all of my weights. I got all of my bands, which are sold out right now, but yeah, I've been getting very creative. I, I live in a townhouse, so I have three sets of stairs, so I've been doing stair sprints. It's wow. been very I mean, different.
0: <laughs> I'm particularly interested in, in understanding how, te- you know, athletes who are on teams, manage a moment, you know, because you can obviously stay fit. But I would assume there's something about playing with other people, your teammates in drills and practice. And then in the game itself that keeps you sharp in a way that no Peloton or Kaiser bike or, you know, resistance band can.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, even even not even just the team sport aspect, but playing, I guess, like, being a part of a team sport that requires, you know, a court and a ball and a hoop, that is already hard because none of us, very few of us, as far as I know, are even able to shoot right now. Wow. You know, I can, I can dribble outside with my, my ball, but my outdoor ball. But, you know, I think right now outside of even just practicing with other people, we're trying to keep our skills sharp. And we mm-hmm. can't even do that. We can't you we can't do any workouts with balls right now, which is really challenging.
0: That's crazy um, to think about that 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 the NBA and the WNBA, you have players who cannot work out with basketballs.
3: Yeah, because you can't all the courts are closed. Even outdoor here in Houston, they've taken down all the hoops on all the outdoor courts. So in the in the beginning of March I was at least able to do like dribbling work work on the outdoor court, but now um, they've taped it off, and they've taken the hoops off. so we can't even do that. i I am dreaming about practicing because it's almost as though we're, we might have to relearn each other, relearn, you know, the game a little bit again
0: when you think about going back on the court um beyond just the questions of skill and so forth, do you have any fear about? contracting the virus, given, I mean, when I think basketball, I think close contact, I think sweat flying, people right breathing in each other's faces. I mean, does that concern you? Is that something that, you know, you spend any amount of time perseverating about?
3: Yeah, you know, I definitely pondered about this in the beginning, but I think now as we Combat this with our different methods. Um, I'm I'm less worried. I think you're gonna f- you're gonna see in sports maybe the first implementation of like maybe widespread periodic testing simply because of what you're you just mentioned. You know, I think it it's it's very obvious that you can contract it with sweat and breath and just being just guarding someone being in close proximity. Yeah. Um, you know, with that happening, which is it's actually interesting because once this virus kind of started creating its wave towards the West, a lot of players were overseas and um, there were, there were times when the players said, oh yeah, they said that the, that the fans can't come in and that after the game, we can't shake hands. And I'm like, so after a game of you guys sweating on each other and touching each other, you can't shake hands and touching. Exactly. A ball. I was like, I was just kind of like, what is happening? But <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's less of a concern for me now as the methods to prevent it and to combat it in the future, I think, are made.
0: I think there are a lot of people that are going to find your your attitude towards this pretty inspiring. I got to ask you on the question of discipline because clearly you have a lot of it. Have you let anything go? Have you given yourself an out, an extra donut or a donut?
3: So I will tell you this. I, I am managing my character because you know the first week I was like okay you know I can do this I have all the stuff that I need here in my house and then the second week rolled around and I was just like oh let me just turn my alarm off I'll wake up work out and you know go about my day and that was by far my worst week because I would just wake up take my time and then my my days were so short and I was just like I can't do this so I committed myself to regimenting You know, back to what I'm used to. I would wake up. I either wake up at six or seven. I give my my myself like two times. I'm like, if I'm ready to go, I can wake up at six. Otherwise, I can snooze till seven. I have let myself go, but it wasn't the best thing for me. (laughs) So I and then you got yourself back. You let yourself go. Then you got yourself right on back back
0: on track. Oh my gosh. Well. Neka, may your days continue to be long and, and may they soon be filled with basketball. We can't wait to see you back on the court.
3: Thank you so much. But in the meantime, we're working on getting as much WNBA on TV, on social, on digital as much as we can. So hopefully people are still encouraged by seeing us out there in whatever way we can be. And I appreciate talking to you, Alex. Thanks, Neka.
0: <laughs> Thanks. That's all for this episode of Six Feet Apart. Our show is produced by Elisa Gutierrez and Lyra Smith. Lyra Smith is our story editor. Our executive producer is Sarah Geismer. Special thanks to Alison Falzetta, Stephen Hoffman, and Sydney Rapp. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.